0: What's happening, everybody? I'm Larry Roberts, and this is another episode of the Readily Random Podcast. You could be larger than life, bigger than the world, out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. I tell you what, today's episode is definitely going to take us down the path of living larger than life. I've got someone here that is going to blow your mind because it blows my mind. And it's kind of funny, you know, because I've always been. Uh, drawn to our subject matter today. Now, not this, not our guest. I didn't know him, to be honest with you. But my, my point is that the subject matter is something that I've always loved. And I mean, honestly, it goes back. I can remember, shoot, I'd say it's 1983 is when I first was introduced to the topic. And I'll tell you how that was and how, I, how that happened at 11 years old uh, as we progress through the interview. But let's go ahead and give you a nice, solid intro for our guest, Dr. Eric Cole is a world-renowned cybersecurity expert with more than 30 years of network security experience. He's a distinguished cybersecurity expert and a keynote speaker who helps organizations curtail the risk of cyber threats. He's worked with a variety of clients ranging from Fortune 50 companies to top international banks to even the CIA, who he was a professional hacker for, actually. So as a pioneer in the area of cybersecurity, that's our topic for today, he's been inducted into the InfoSec Hall of Fame, awarded the Cyber Wingman Award from the U.S. Air Force, received multiple accommodations from the CIA, and was part of the Commission on Cybersecurity for President Obama. He's been the featured speaker at many security events and has also been interviewed by several chief media outlets such as CNN, CBS News, Fox News, and 60 Minutes. And uh, just between you guys and me, I think he's going to add Readily Random to his about page after this is over, but we'll see how it plays out. So, hey, Dr. Cole, welcome to the Readily Random podcast.
1: Thank you. Whenever I hear that intro, I always think I need to have some hobbies, man. I'm, I'm way too busy with
0: work. <laughs> Dude, you have accomplished more in your lifetime than a lot of people, probably decades of folks have ever accomplished. It's just amazing. Thank you, my friend. It's a Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. And, you know, it's funny because I, I had to do my homework for this one because I knew that you really knew what you were talking about. You were going to come on, on here and kind of blow your way through the interview. So I had to, had to bone up a bit. And it started off by I picked up this book, uh, How Google Works. So I, I read this one, and now I've got a good understanding of the algorithm. I know exactly what's happening here. So don't try to get sneaky on me because I I, I know. I know the book. All right? The next one, the next one's big. The next one's big. This one is controlling the human element of security by someone that I'm sure you probably know, The Art of Deception by Kevin Mitnick. Oh, yeah. Kevin's a good buddy of mine. Good guy. I assumed yep. as much. Yes. So, uh, you know, and this kind of leads me back to where I was 11 years old and I saw a movie. It was an MGM movie in 1983 called, can you guess it? A War Games, Sneakers. War Games. There it is. War Games. It I War did. Games. Yes, it was War Games. So I loved that movie and I loved, I can still remember seeing it for, you know, one of the first 18 times and going, man, what he's doing is so cool. What he was doing all, and I didn't know what it was called at the time. I didn't know it was fishing and and social engineering or anything like that, but it was very cool. But, you know, what happened was my parents go, dude, that's not real. People can't do that. Ain't nobody going to give me that information. That's stupid, you know, (laughs) but you'd be surprised how open people
1: really are. And it's scary. You look at war games and you look at the concept that nuclear weapons would be connected to a modem that somebody can guess and dial. And I'll tell you, we're not that bad today, but we're starting to connect nuclear power plants, medical equipment, and other things to the internet and other devices. So I'm like, okay, what used to be sci-fi is becoming more and more reality every time we pass. And I'll tell you the movie that terrifies me now is I think it was like Die Hard 17 or 18. It was Live Free or Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was about the hacking and the picking over. And I remember watching it the first time going, this is such BS. And I just watched it a few days ago with my son and I'm like, this could really happen. This is scary now. <laughs> Oh, no, see, and I hate that because you know, I'm a martial artist, and as a martial
0: artist, it's difficult for me to watch martial arts movies because they do techniques and moves and stuff. And I'm like, ah, that cannot work, I know it doesn't work, but so I, I can't even watch them anymore. It ruined kickboxer for me and all those great old school movies. So, you sitting here saying that you watched a movie and you saw them go through the motions, and those motions could be somewhat replicated
1: to uh, have the same response is kind of, uh, kind of scary. Yeah. Because if you look at the whole concept of cybersecurity, it was always about separation and air gaps. So, so not to get too technical, but like when I was at the CIA, the classified systems were on a separate isolated network. So unless you physically breached the security and broke in, you weren't accessing those systems. But in the last two to three years, if for functionality and ease of use, you're having the IRS saying, hmm, Why don't we connect the database of all taxpayers' information to the internet? Yeah, that's a good idea. And same thing with nuclear power plants and hospitals and all these places. Functionality is leading, and all of a sudden, all our security rules are going out the door. And now I'm looking back on, man, we are making it so easy for attackers to break in if they wanted to, that to me, it's just getting scarier and scarier every day instead of more and more secure. Yeah, you know,
0: and as an average citizen, especially right now during the times that we're living in, and I'm not going to use the N-N word, the new normal, I had to say it so people would know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> God, that irritates me. Uh, it, it's it's kind of scary, especially when you're hearing about chipping and having all of your medical information on a, a chip, uh, the, you know, uh, the size of a grain of rice that has everything about your blood types and your social security number and everything on this little device. Even your financial stability is supposed to be on this device allowing you to buy things. And, of course, there's uh, all kinds of different angles here from this perspective of it just being kind of a scary concept of the government controlling you. But then there's the religious implications from it as well as is this the mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, th- yeah, it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But, 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 but I even laugh on that because you, you hear people talking about chipping. We actually have a, a chip inserted under your skin so yeah. they can see whether you've ha- had the virus and all those factors. And people are freaking out going, oh, I'm not going to be chipped. And I'm like, you already are. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, your cell phone. I mean, right. we carry that thing with us 24 seven. And most people don't realize that's recording our location. That's tracking what we do. There's no such thing as delete. I've been in a high-profile Hollywood divorce, and I'll leave it at that. And you, you might be able to figure out who it was. And they thought they deleted pictures. They thought they deleted text messages. And for an entire year, we were able to recover everything they said, did, and took on that phone, including every place they went to. And we were even able to take their phone and another individual's phone, and let's just say place it at the same hotel at the same time at certain convenient locations. So, I mean, people just don't realize that you are already being tracked, and you've given up your freedom when you've been willing to carry that cell phone with you 24-7, but for some reason, that's okay, but a chip is the worst thing on the planet. Right. You know, and I guess because it's internal. You know, it's
0: putting something in my body now, the, the flip side of this, and we're getting way off base here, but another something else that I, I'm, I'm fascinated by is the neural implant that Elon Musk has been talking about lately. Now, I wouldn't hesitate to do that, but for some reason, a chip in my webbing of my thumb and my forefinger, that's some scary stuff. I don't know why that is. Why is that? It's because of the religious implications and the implied afterlife implications, I would assume, is,
1: is the vast majority of it. But it would be the same thing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I like it because I'm always losing my phone and my wallet. And if it's in my body and my skin, hey, it's, it, it's easier to find. Yeah, no, no I, I just love with the whole COVID-19 thing going on because it's like taking people that were crazy, and, like, making him super crazy. Like, like I, I love Elon Musk, man, but that guy's a, a, a little bit on the crazy trade lately, but I just love watching that and Bill Gates and, and all these people just go to the next level of crazy. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's it's it's... But, you know, honestly, we sit here, and for the last couple of decades, we have seen science fiction come to life. Yep. And honestly, I don't know that there's many movies out there, other than the most current movies, that reflect science, quote-unquote, fiction, that hasn't been created or hasn't been personified in some fashion and that's kind of freaky who's doing all this fortune telling and who's telling Hollywood to make these movies that are showing our future you know yeah so it's it's just it's it's a mind-blowing gig now here's what I did Eric is, is I reached out to, to my audience because I wasn't sure what I'll to ask you and as you can see I can get way off base with this stuff because I just love it so I had some questions that they gave me that uh, some of them are pretty legit so if you don't mind, I'd like to at least touch base on a couple of those and, and get your input. Is that all right? Let's do it, man. I love questions. Let's make it happen. All right, here we go. So one, uh, number one, what does Dr. Cole see as potential short and long-term impacts
1: of C-19 on cybersecurity? To, to me, you've got a couple of ways. Is COVID-19 hit us like out of the box? It, it seems like we woke up one day. And we were going into the office, going to the gym, and going to restaurants, and literally in 24 hours, our life changed. And what you have to remember in all these situations, functionality always leads, security always follows. So you had all these companies that are letting people work from home, letting people use their home computers that might be Windows 7 XP, right? It's, it's crazy crazy. You have people taking servers that were visible, sorry, that were private, and now they're visible. You have companies moving data to the cloud. So you're creating this huge exposure point. And I know you've heard a lot of people say it, and I'm not the sky is falling chicken little type guy, but we have created the perfect scenario where if in September, October timeframe, there is not a massive massive cyber attack, then I would be utterly surprised because we have just created this scenario that created so many exposure points. We're so paranoid about functionality, we're ignoring security. Now, on the flip side, what I think this does, which I actually think is a good thing, it shifts a lot more security to the individual. Zoom got a lot of crap about it being exposed and vulnerable. I'll be honest with you. I'm the first one to throw vendors under the bus when they screw up. Zoom had security built in. Zoom was good. Here's the problem. It wasn't turned on by default, and nobody bothered to learn how to use the app. So to me, Zoom is a good lesson. If you're going to drive a car, you learn about the safety features. If you're going to use the internet, learn about the safety features. So I think it's going to push a lot more responsibility to the individual, where now all of a sudden people are going to start to recognize they're responsible for cybersecurity, and they can't just rely on their company in order to do that. See, and
0: that's something we're always always uh, accustomed to is somebody else taking care of it for us yep. you know I've had an, I, an IT background for over 20 years so security has always been something that I, I, I was fascinated by it as a child even but it's something that I've been in, introduced to at a professional level so security was always the forefront of our of our department as a matter of fact so it's it's, it's but the thing is it's not that way for everybody You know, if you take somebody out of accounting, they they don't even know how the computer works. All they know is that they're trying to post their their debits and their credits or whatever they may be doing, and they're going to take their laptop home or they're going to dial into Citrix and they're going to be doing the same thing. But who knows, as you pointed it out, you know, where are the fault points there? They're right on a
1: potential fault line and it's out of the company's control. Exactly. And this has always been true. But to me, if you really want to get the best security advice on the planet, I'll give it to you right now. Okay. You are a target. As soon as you wake up and recognize that whoever you are, if you have $10 in the bank account, if you have a small little apartment, or if you're a millionaire, billionaire, you are a target. The adversary doesn't care. They are going after anybody they can, and they'll take a dollar from you. And if you take a dollar from a million people, you've made a million bucks. So to me, the best thing that people could recognize out of the whole COVID-19 and all the phishing scams and attacks we're seeing out there is wake up every single day recognizing you are a target and recognize that cybersecurity is your responsibility. That's just another case of, I don't never happen to me. Exactly. Until Nobody it does. Is, why is
0: it, when, it when, when, when you download something and all of a sudden your windows lock up and you have to dial this number and pay them $500 to unlock your your, your browser? Tell me, what, how, how is that not on you to, to avoid? You know, people go, I don't want that McAfee stuff on my computer. It takes up too much resources. And, and I'm not promoting McAfee. I use it. I don't know how good yeah. that is. But, uh, a buddy of mine just interviewed John McAfee the other day. And, well, he has me thinking this is not a good decision. But, but beyond that. You know, it's just something that we don't think of every day. We always have that, it's not on my, my shoulders, they're not after me mentality. So, all right, let's look at the next one. What is the most important thing individuals should be concerned about regarding their own data in today's new normal? And I think we pretty much just covered that by saying everything.
1: <laughs> right, Exactly. But, but what it's going to come down to is, in cybersecurity, prevention is ideal, but detection is a must. Everyone always wants to prevent an attack, but let me help you out. It's going to happen. So the best advice I could give you is for anything that can impact you, your bank account, your credit card, your personal information, turn on account monitoring. Do you realize every time somebody tries to withdraw money from your bank account or do an electronic fund transfer, you can get a text notification? Do you realize anytime somebody tries to utilize your credit card or makes a charge, you can get a text notification? That's the best way to manage your security because most people don't realize that if you use a debit card, when somebody steals that, the money comes directly out of your account. And if you don't catch that typically in 24 to 48 hours, that money has gone. Now, I always have people wow. going, oh, but Eric, it happened that I got my money back. Yeah, because you had a nice bank but they don't have to do that. So have visibility into what's happening and do monitoring. And then once again, I'll get some people, but Eric, I don't want to get a text notification every time I go to the bank or every time I use my credit card. Let me teach you another lesson in cybersecurity. You're going to pay. You either pay now or you pay later. So let me ask you a question. Do you want to pay now where anytime you use your credit card, you get a text notification and you approve it, so it maybe takes five or 10 extra seconds to do a transaction. Or do you want to not have that inconvenience? And in seven months, when your identity and bank account gets wiped out, you now have to spend $10,000 and 200 hours on fixing it. The choice is yours, A or B. And that's what people don't realize. You get a little inconvenience now or a lot of inconvenience later. And, and they don't realize that because they
0: don't, they don't understand the scope. You know, the, the scope of, of, of a breach is extremely significant. You, you nailed it right there by tens of thousands of dollars potentially, as well as the hundreds of hours of time. Because those breaches, they go on and on and on and on. And it takes you forever to get ahead of everything and get a lock back on your life.
1: Exactly. Well, When your identity gets stolen, you never get it back. You just control the damage. Well, that makes it even worse.
0: Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we got two more if that's all right with you. Absolutely. What is the the primary thing all companies, let's take it a little larger here, Companies should be thinking about right now related to protecting themselves from breaches?
1: To me, the best way to look at cybersecurity, it's managing risk to your critical data. So if we really want to look at what cybersecurity is all about, it's understanding the risk and making sure your critical data is protected and secure. So the best thing you can do for a company is train all of your decision makers to ask a second question. And what I mean is when people make decisions today, they always ask one question. What is the value or benefit? So if you come to me and say, hey, Eric, I know the company blocks USB drive access, but I can increase my productivity by 30%. What do they say? Yes, because 30% is good. I need to put a new server on the internet. Functionality, increased customer, increased revenue. That's good, but they're only focused on what is the value or benefit. But here's what I want you to do. Ask a second question. What is the risk or exposure? And then ask yourself, can I live with that risk and exposure? Because if we as business leaders said, okay, the value is I can increase productivity by 30%, but the risk or exposure, is we could lose $20 million. Can you live with that risk or exposure? If the answer is yes, do it. If the answer is no, then don't do it. It's always taking that risk-based approach and all it takes is asking two questions. What is the value? What is the risk? And that's why I always find it funny when people ask me, should we do this? Is this secure? I'm like, you're asking the wrong question. It's are you willing to accept the risk? And I'll give you a real interesting twist on this. I love reading books, and last year, I decided to read uh, Warren Buffett's Buffett's autobiography. And what I realized is the way Warren Buffett invests is he asks two questions. What is the upside? What is the downside? And he only invests if he can minimize or reduce the downside. And what I realized is that's the same strategy I've been using for security for 10 years is always minimize or reduce the downsides, minimize or reduce the risk. So now I always jokingly tell people that my advice on cybersecurity is endorsed by Warren Buffett. Now, I don't think he agrees to that, but hey, it works for me.
0: So I read it somewhere, and I said it on a podcast, so you know it's true. Exactly, right? <laughs> if you find it on the internet, it's got to be true. Exactly, exactly. Awesome. Let's see. One more, and then we'll just, uh, we'll just shoot the breeze a little bit. I want to know more about your company and, and you know, what, what word are you looking to get out in your podcast tour that you're on right now? So that's, that's down the road here. Last question. Hearing that nothing will ever go back to the way it was after C-19 seems rather open-ended. Could Dr.
1: Cole summarize what that means to him? To me, throughout my life, we have different life-changing events that create a new normal. And the example I like to give, because I was talking with my wife and kids, and they're like, why can't things be the way they were, is after 9-11, air travel is not the same. Now, my kids were born afterwards, so they think it's normal. Their normal is that you can't take three ounces or more on an airplane, that you can't go to the gate when somebody you know is flying in. That wasn't normal when I was growing up, but it became that new normal. And to me, this is going to create the new normal, which is a lot less people are going to travel. So I think you're going to have a lot more Zoom, a lot more video conferencing type encounters. And from a commercial real estate perspective, that worries me because I think you're going to see a lot less brick and mortars. Now, some places like restaurants and others, there's always going to be there. But I mean, they're even talking about making school virtual, which I think is crazy because you need physical interaction and other components. But, but I sort of think the new normal is, unless you absolutely have to, you're going to see virtual communication, virtual meetings, virtual conferences become that new norm. And once again, I probably shouldn't say this, but hey, it's after 6 p.m. So all bets are off. It's crazy time. I'm not going to wear a mask. Now, I respect oh, you. If you, you do want to let me into your establishment, I'm cool with that. I, you, you, I don't have to give you my business. I'm not going to put anyone else at risk. So I'm not going to be going around and coughing on people or licking people or anything else. But to me, I'm going to live my life. I mean, my freedom is more important. So I think you're going to see cases where I call it the the mask and the non-maskers. I mean, there's going to be some places where some people like me, because I won't wear a mask, are not going to be welcome and we're not going to be able to go and other things. So I think you're going to see a very big, diverse uh, separation in society. Because what I notice is COVID-19 is really creating this huge separation between people that think we should be quarantined and people that think we shouldn't be quarantined and we should be able to make our own decisions. And I mean, it's getting crazy. I mean, I see people friends of 20 years are now enemies because of the disagreement. So I think this is creating a huge separation in society. We're going to sort of have the has and has nots, and it's going to create this big division.
0: No, I think you're you're spot on. And, you know, in many places, it already has. You know, if right. you if you look at either coast, you're already there. And if you don't wear a mask, you're kind of an a-hole, you know. And yeah. I'm in Texas. So here in Texas, we don't care. You know, you can wear a mask if you want to. Or God bless Texas. Oh, so, yeah. We love it right here. But <laughs> it's just the way it is, man. And we don't experience the separation as much. Now, I'm in a suburb of Dallas. So I can imagine if I went downtown, the atmosphere would be slightly different. But at the same time, you know, Dallas has uh, as a population is what it's in the top 10 of the United States. I mean, it's, it's, it's a dense population area. almost like 8 million people in, in the DFW Metroplex, something like that. So, but still at the same time, I feel, and here, I'm, I'm going to go real conspiracy theory on you here for just a second, because I can't prove it because I haven't had a test. Okay. But once the tests become more, uh, available, I'm going to have an antibody test. Yep. Because I believe, with beyond a shadow of a doubt, in November, I had COVID. It was a Saturday. I woke up. I was feeling great. I was ready to kick ass on Saturday, like I always do, right? Two o'clock in the afternoon, like a ton of bricks, it just hits me almost yep. like it, it, it was that fast. It's almost like crippling all of a sudden. And I kid you not, and I'm a pretty tough guy. But by about eight o'clock that night, after about a six hour span, I was crying because I was in so much, I was just discombobulated. I had a massive fever. I was shaking beyond control. I had no control of my limbs. And, you know, I'm not a Navy SEAL. I can't sit in the water for 24 hours and and not break. You know what I mean? It took me about six hours. So don't welcome me to BUDS anytime soon. But it, it was just horrible. And it went on for about four or five days. And it finally let go but what it did was it destroyed my voice you know as I sit here right now my voice sounds pretty close to Larry's voice but there were months months have gone by and I even had to take a hiatus from podcasting because I really was just like this and nothing worked I went to specialists I had every kind of med you can possibly imagine and it was just time and and I had to start a, a regime where I take care of my voice with uh, with the stuff called vocal ease, which singers use. And I took some some methods for singers and applied them to myself. And I finally got my voice back. But I think it was COVID. I really do.
1: So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it's been around since September of last year. And I think it's like you. A lot of people, I believe, has had it and don't even realize it. Because at the time, it was just another sickness. We didn't have the same reaction that we do now to it where you'd be like voted off the island and uh, sh- shipped out somewhere and, and never to return again. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have had it and don't even realize it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's
0: tough. If, if that's what I had, it's a, it's a crock of crap and it's horrible. I don't want anybody to ever have it. But, and I can also see where it can be very, very detrimental to either already compromised individuals or individuals that are in the upper echelon of age, you know, the 65-plusers the or or any, the retirees, the nursing home type folks. I can definitely see where it could cause some serious concern uh, in, in that arena. But being the scrapping young lad I am at 47, you know, I overcame it. And I think most people are going to be in that group. I mean, I don't have to think it. The statistics show it. You yeah. know, I am wearing a mask per se right now, but it's not really a mask. I bought me, what is it, a Shamog scarf, you know, yeah. it's gonna, I I tie that on and I go around looking like a bandit. So at least I look kind of cool. You know, I don't have a, a, an N95 mask rocking or anything like that, you know? So (laughs) it's so,
1: it's crazy times, but, but but I tell you, it's like to to me in some cases, like logic goes out the door. I can see like if meat plants are closing down that, that there's a scarcity on meat, but, but the thing I still don't understand is toilet paper. (laughs) I mean, COVID-19 doesn't cause you to poop more. I mean, did people not have good hygiene? I mean, I just, I don't understand it. And, and, And it's funny. And from Texas, you'll appreciate this. Me and my wife don't watch the news a lot and I travel. So she had no idea what was going on. And by the time we did, we couldn't get toilet paper. And I come home from my trip and there's no toilet paper. So I immediately go to the gun store and buy all the ammo. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to get toilet paper one way or another, right? I, I, I'm going to win here. And, and then all of a sudden it started coming back. But I mean, just some of the things that are scarcity now, just yeah. like boggle my mind. I'm like, what's the logic here? Yep.
0: You know, it's interesting. I'm just, I do most everything via Amazon or by delivery, right? Some other form of delivery. And just the things that I couldn't get delivered were mind boggling. And I'm like, how, why is that out of stock? I don't even get this, you know, but I was in the exact same boat. I bought ammo and I, you can bet every gun in the house is ready to rock and roll. Cause somebody's <laughs> coming after my stash. You know, they, I, I got my cash and everything over here and ain't nobody getting it. So tell me what is behind your tour of podcasting? What, what message are you looking to spread? Obviously it's cybersecurity, but it, can, can you narrow that down for me and give me a little more focus on that?
1: Sure. And and it's sort of interesting because I I decided to sort of get more visible, get out there on social, do this tour before COVID-19 because I saw January of this year that people just weren't taking cybersecurity seriously. And I will tell you, it hurts me beyond belief when I get that phone call at 10 o'clock and one of our neighbors calls me because his daughter was harassed or cyberbullied online or somebody's bank account got wiped out or what happened three weeks ago where one of my good friend's parents who's 89 years old lost their entire bank account in a phishing scam. I mean, that, that just boggles my mind. It's like, come after me. But leave grandma and grandpa alone. I mean, they worked their life. But what most people don't realize is the two demographics that are targeted the most by cyber attacks are people over 65 and people under 21. And it's for different reasons. Over 65, they don't understand tech and they trust. And under 21, they love their tech and they trust. But it has that same problem. So I'm like, I need to start raising awareness. And I sort of joke, I want to be the Nader of cybersecurity. If you remember, unsafe at any speed, Ralph Nader in Mm the 70s uh, with seatbelts. I want to be that person, the cybersecurity, because it is getting out of control and it doesn't need to be. Cybersecurity doesn't need to be difficult if you're just super careful in what you click and where you surf. And, And what I recommend, if you have any parents over 65, most of the attacks, most of the malware are made to run on Windows operating systems. It's not that Windows is more vulnerable. It's that 90% of all computers run Windows. So what I do, my mom, my my grandparents, aunts and uncles, give them an iPad, give them a tablet, give them a non-Windows device, and now let them surf and click away and 95% of the malware won't impact them. So sometimes simple things like just changing the platform and understanding what that exposure is can go a long way to protect yourself. So that's really why I'm on this mission to make cyberspace safe. And to me, until we make it fun, exciting, like we are on this podcast, getting people interested, they're not gonna understand the two fundamental rules that I mentioned, which is you are a target and that cybersecurity is really your responsibility.
0: Cool deal, man. Cool deal. Well, where can we find more information about you and your company, Secure Anchor?
1: From a company perspective, if you go to secureanchor.com, that's my company webpage that has corporate information, lots of eBooks. Could, we have eBooks on securing Zoom and working from home that are all free. If it's individual, then I recommend just follow me on any social media platform. It's Dr. Eric Cole, D-R-E-R-I-C-C-O-L-E on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, because I post a lot of content, a lot of free videos, a lot of eBooks. I really believe in giving back. So there's a lot of free stuff out there that you can listen to, consume. And like I said, it's not hard. Something as simple as checking email and surfing the web on a tablet or an iPhone, boom, simple, easy, takes away most of the threat vectors.
0: Awesome, now I gotta tell you, while I was doing my homework also for this show, was you scared me with the Alexa bit, because I watched your Alexa video, and by the way, you've got a great YouTube channel that is, that you could definitely go out there and, and, and uh, subscribe to Dr. Kogel's YouTube channel, there is some excellent information out there, very short, digestible videos that are, that are great, very, very insightful. But again, the Alexa video scared the dickens out of me because i got an Alexa sitting right here. Yeah. And you, you know why the only reason I have only one and it's in my studio was because I can, I don't want to say it, but I can tell that device to play the Readily Random podcast and it'll do it. And that's cool, right? Nice. So I, <laughs> I bought it just to, just to test that so I can tell people that they can ask their device to play the podcast and it'll actually do it. But you know, the thing is I've left it plugged in ever since. And just the, other, I, just the other day, my wife and I were talking, and none, neither one of us said her name, right? But she still decided to tell us something, some little random fact. And I'm like, yeah. what, what, is, what, is this, what, what happened? How did this happen? So it's kind of freaky. <laughs> no,
1: I, I always love when I talk to people because they're like, no, no Eric, there, there's no way that device is listening. I'm like, okay, let's put technology aside and let's just have a common sense discussion. If it's not listening, how does it know when to answer you, right? The fact that you could say its name 24-7 and it will respond, hello, it's listening, right? And yeah. people are like, oh, yeah, that's scary, right? Like they never put the two and two together, that it has to be listening in order to do that. And then the other thing people don't realize is the quickness, When you go in and you start talking about a subject and then when you ask the device for it, it's instantaneous. It's because they're doing pre-caching. They're recording hours of your conversation, building up profiles of things that are of interest to you. And then all of a sudden, it's making that content readily available. And try this experiment. It blows people's minds. But either with Alexa or with Siri, just start talking about a topic like I want to buy a new Ford F-150 pickup truck and just talk about it several times, mention it several times, say it several times. You will all of a sudden notice that when you go to Google or when you go to your phone or others, all of a sudden there's advertisements for Ford F-150s. And like the first time it happens to people, it's always funny. I get the call and they're like, it had to be a coincidence. And I'm like do it again. Keep doing it until you believe me that these devices are listening. Now, to be fair to them, they are not actually selling your data as far as we know. But what they're doing is they're building profiles and then they're aligning you with advertisers and doing it that way. So they're making a lot of money on it. We just don't realize it. And then my, my final argument back is Facebook Oh, God. Google. <laughs> you say they're not listening, but let me ask you a question. How is a company like Facebook that everything they do is free? There's no cost to have a Facebook account, yet they're a multi billion dollar company. Can you explain that? Because I want in on that. If you could do free <laughs> to right, become a billion dollar company, I want that game. The point is, it's not free. You're exchanging your data and people just don't realize that the biggest commodity day is personal information and data. And that's, to me, why Google is brilliant. Because think about it, why are they giving free email, free searching? Free, free? It's because they're taking your data in exchange, and your data is worth so much more than a search engine or an email. So once again, it shouldn't terrify you that you want to give up everything and become Amish, but you should want to go in and just be a little more careful of who you're saying what to and start protecting and controlling your information.
0: That's so true. I tell you that Facebook part, that really hits home because it makes me so angry. I can say anything. And I promise you, the next time I go to Facebook, which I'm on Facebook probably more than anybody else on the planet. Yeah,
1: if I'm sure. You know, it's
0: just, I mean, that's how I do all my marketing. Everything is Facebook for me. But every time I go there and launch it for the first time of the day, whatever I've been talking about, boom, that's the ad. So it's a trip. All right. Well, Eric, I really appreciate all your time. It has been a tremendous pleasure, and I could really just talk your ear off because you're just an amazing guy with amazing credentials and, man, just a great topic. So, I'm, I'm really very appreciative of you taking the time to
1: join me today on the Ridley Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show, and maybe the next time in Texas, we'll go and have a steak together.
0: Dude, I'd love it. It's, it's <laughs> on me. I'll take you to get you a big old good one, too. I promise you that. All more. right. So, all right. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk again. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye.